I am very grateful to Steve Wright for going to bat for the Indy Pass with his prospective new owners. If not for his endorsement, we probably wouldn't make the cut after an ownership change. But hopefully we can prove to the new group, whoever that is, that we can deliver good value for JPEG. I will also say that Steve Wright is one of the most respected GMs in the Northeast. And he knows that JPEG's participation in the Indy Pass helps all of the Indy resorts in New England. He sees it as a responsibility to help support some of his colleagues downstate. Welcome to the storm. I'm your host, Stuart Winchester, reconnecting with one of the greatest thinkers in our sport today, Indy Pass founder, Doug Fish. He is getting you more skiing for less money than pretty much anyone else ever has. Before we get to that conversation, go ahead and click over to stormskiing.com and subscribe to the Storm Skiing newsletter. When Indy dropped details on the Allied program earlier this week, email subscribers received a full breakdown of that program the second it was live. Paid subscribers got even more with a detailed breakdown of each resort. Look, I'm going deep on the world of lift serve skiing and especially the world of multi-mountain passes all year long and you are gonna wanna get in on that with the Storm Skiing Newsletter. I am already locked in on a yet to be announced mega mountain pass that's adding two new partners in June and my subscribers are going to be the first to find out about those and you want to be one of those subscribers. For breaking news and more frequent updates, you can also follow the storm on Twitter and Instagram at Storm Ski Journal. Okay, let's talk about Mountain Gazette. Have you subscribed yet? If not, why not? I'm telling you, having this thing on your coffee table is going to change your whole day. Let me tell you about Mountain Gazette 197 which is heading to the printer in the coming weeks. The spring 2022 issue is going to be stuffed with the kind of picks and stories you will not find anywhere else. Here's what I mean. The new issue features a stunning photo gallery of outdoor culture in Kiev, Ukraine before the Russian invasion. There is a story about mountain town soccer prospects and a photo gallery by the one and only Jimmy Chin. Yes, that's right. The Oscar Award winner makes his Mountain Gazette debut in issue 197. Plus, long-form stories about skiing, the Jackson Hole backcountry, biking, whitewater rafting, climbing, and much more. If you think print is dead, you are wrong. The only way to reserve a copy is to subscribe. Go to mountaingazette.com to lock in your subscription today. Mountain Gazette. When in doubt, Go higher. Episode 85, Doug Fish, president and founder of the Indy Pass. At this point, it kind of seems as though the Indy Pass has been with us forever, right? But it wasn't too long ago that Indy seemed too good to be true. When Indy Pass dropped, it offered two days each at 34 ski areas for $199. And it seemed like the best thing ever. Believe it or not, that wasn't even three years ago, and the thing just keeps getting better. Next year, we're looking at a minimum of 83 downhill partners, discounts at at least a dozen allied resorts, and nine cross-country partners. And all of those numbers are all but guaranteed to increase prior to next season. And we are just getting started. In just a few years, Doug Fish has completely transformed the North American multi-mountain pass game, helping everyone who was overlooked in the rush to Epic and Icon to play too, and giving us all an alternative to these bursting at the seams joints. It's been an amazing thing to watch, and Doug is always a great guy to talk to. Let's hear it. My guest today is the president and founder of the Indy Pass which for the 2022 to 23 ski season 
will provide two days of skiing each at 83 downhill ski areas in the U.S. and Canada for $279. Indy Pass holders can now also access nine cross-country ski areas, a number that may grow to 30 or more by this coming season. A Nordic-only Indy Pass is also available for $69. A new Allied Resorts program will also offer discounts to Indy Pass holders at an additional six independent ski areas across North America. The Indy Pass is the fastest-growing multi-mountain pass in North America with more than 125,000 redemptions for the 2021-22 ski season. He is a very good friend of the storm. Doug Fish is my guest. Doug, welcome back to the storm for the third time. So good to have you back. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Stuart. Thanks for having me again. So before we get to the Indy Pass, how did your 2021 to 22 ski season go personally? Did you get out there? Did you get some pow? I did. It was fantastic. I had some of uh, some of the best days I've ever had on Mount Hood, my home mountain. And I've been skiing up there since uh, the dark ages. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And then I uh, took some really great trips in uh, Colorado and Utah and uh, up in New England, uh, just had a fantastic season. And, and we're still going back here in the Northwest. You know, I, I skied on Sunday in, in uh, 10 inches of fresh powder. <laughs> so so what is it going to take to get one of the Mount Hood ski areas on the Indy Pass? Oh, I don't know. I, th- I think I'm going to have to um, get photos of somebody in compromising <laughs> positions. <laughs> Is, is it just a volume issue? Or are they just busy enough? They just, cause they're not on Epic. They're not on Icon. They're not on anything. No. Other than the joint. Yeah. They're, they're doing great up there. Um, and you know, their, their weekends are pretty much maxed out at all three areas. Uh, Portland is a great ski market and, um, you know, we, we keep trying and hopefully, uh, someday we'll, we'll crack through, but for, you know, in the meantime, I'll, I'll just have to, uh, by a season pass, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> How about nights at Ski Bowl? It seems like that would be a good entree. Uh, Ski Bowl is a fantastic uh, mountain, and night skiing there is 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 amazing. It's an hour from Portland, you know, door to door, and um, you know it gets a little bit colder at night, so that the snow dries out a little bit. They're at a fairly low elevation. Uh, you know, around 4,300, 4,400, I think at the base, but I think they have some of the best terrain on Mount Hood. Um, mm. They have some incredible uh, ski uh, trees and shoots and steeps. It's really a, a great hill. All right, Doug. Well, uh, Timberline said the other day they have that new Gandhi going in in 2028. Maybe that's a good reach date for you. <laughs> yes, uh, we're all excited about that. Uh, it's gonna, it's going to transform uh, Mount Hood and Government Camp. That's for sure. All right, let's talk about the Indy Pass. How did the 2021 to 22 ski season go? Did it live up to your expectations? No, I uh, missed expectations by a mile in terms of past sales and redemptions, but we met or exceeded our expectations in terms of the yield that we paid out to our resort partners and uh, new resort signups. So, you know, it, it was a bit of a mixed bag, but uh, all very positive. So you, you had said that your expectations for the season were around 400,000 redemptions. You said you had ended up with around 125,000. That's a pretty big gap. What do you attribute that to? Why do you think the redemptions and sales were below what you thought they were going to be? Probably our our price increase. We raised the price 40% and uh, that was a little bit of a shock to the system. And, um, you know, I think uh, COVID contributed to some of our uh, rapid growth the prior season where we we were up 700% and we thought that we were going to be able to maintain some of that, that rapid growth. But, you know, it settled into more of a uh, more steady growth, I'll call it. <laughs> and how, how's your momentum going in then to the 2022 to 23 ski season? Your passes have been on sale now for about six weeks. 
And what you, you did not raise the price, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And you introduced a couple of really cool discounts and, uh, and promotional offers. Are, are you seeing good momentum heading into next sales season? Yes, past sales are w- way ahead of last year. And we're very optimistic about uh, the coming season. I'll, but I'm not going to make predictions. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You mentioned the yield. I think that's a little bit of an insider term, a little bit of an industry term. I think a lot of a lot of listeners may not know what you mean when you say yield. So mm-hmm. why don't you break this down for us, Doug? How does the Indy Pass work? You know, how, for, just from mm-hmm. a business point of view, how do you determine how much you pay your partner ski areas for each visit, which which is in fact the yield that you were just talking about. But what does that term mean, and how does the whole thing work? Just break it down for us. Well, it's a, it's a little bit complicated, but essentially we set aside eighty five percent of all past revenue, and that gets paid back to the resorts based on redemptions, and the payout for each resort is calculated as a percentage of each resort's highest ticket price. We refer to that payout or that percentage as the yield. And that's a common term used in in the resort business to to measure average ticket prices and and so forth. So in other words, if if we have a resort with a $100 lift ticket, their highest window what we call the rack rate, the highest window price. If, if they have a $100 lift ticket, they're going to receive twice as much as the resort with a $50 lift ticket. And what that does, it allows us to have the smallest mom and pop and the biggest destination resort, both on the pass. And they, they can both have, a, a, you know, redemptions and visits and they both come out happy. Does that yield depend on the day that the redemption is made? So you know, a holiday Saturday versus a, a Monday in March, will the payout to the resort be different on those two days at the same ski area? We have uh, two yields uh, for adults. That's, uh, you know, most of our, our the revenue we generate for these guys is on the adult passes. And um, we pay out a different rate or a different yield for blackout days. So a resort that's you know, at capacity on the weekends or on holidays can black out those days. And uh, our pass holders that upgrade to the Indy Plus Pass can still ski there, but the additional revenue that we generate from that Indy Plus Pass helps subsidize that visit and we're able to pay a much higher yield on a blackout day. So the, the, the resort's not given up uh, revenue uh, that they could, you know, that they could make at the ticket window by selling a full price lift ticket, and uh, they're happy to accept uh, indie pass visits on those days. So, eighty five percent of what we pay us consumers for indie pass goes straight back to the resorts. The other fifteen percent is for you to run your business, pay your salaries, keep your lights on. Is that right? That is correct. And where does the marketing come from? Does it come out of that fifteen percent or out of the eighty five percent? Oh no! It comes out of the fifteen percent. I mean, the eighty-five percent is a is a true payout to the resorts, and we do everything for fifteen. Is that the right number? Is that sustainable long term? We think it is. You know, we uh, we achieved a little bit of profitability in our third season, and uh, we were able to pay salaries. And uh, we think that with continued growth, it's only going to get better. So you mentioned earlier that your yield actually had increased this year. And when you came on the show last year, you said that your yield was a little bit below your target and what you had wanted it to be for the 2020 to 21 ski season. And as you mentioned, you've seen a surge in visitations in the past was only $199 for that season. So were you able to to get to your target this year? And do you feel good about uh, that level that you're at? You were able to pay out your partners? We just we felt just shy of our, our yield goal this past season, but we came close and we increased the yield 21% over last year. And, um, you know, everybody was very happy with that. Um, we, we think we can continue to improve on it, even without a price increase this year. And uh, we're very close to, to where, where we'd like to be. I wrote a story for the storm a couple of weeks ago about Powder Mountain. 
and you and I talked for that story and you, and you told me that the yield you were able to pay powder mountain on weekends was close to a hundred percent of their rack rate. Now I didn't actually look up how much a lift ticket to powder mountain is, but it's right there in Utah. So I imagine it's close enough to what they're charging the Wasatch is Pow an exception because they limit daily ticket sales or are a lot of your partners seeing similar yields this season? We pay out the same yield to all resorts. If it's a blackout day, they, they get close to 100%. And if it's a non-blackout day, they get less. But the same the same percentage is paid out to a Powder Mountain, uh, just the same as it is to Suicide 6 in Vermont. If you look at the growth of the Indy Pass over the past several years, it's really become, in especially in the Northeast and the Midwest, it's really become a destination product that competes, in my opinion, with the Epic and the Icon Passes. And you have really nice places on there like Lutzen and Granite Peak in the Midwest. And out East, you have Jay Peak and Waterville and Saddleback. And the West is tough just because of what it is and, and who's playing out there and how big the mountains are. But you have secured Powder Mountain and Tamarack and Brundage and Silver Mountain. And, and these are nice little spots where folks can spend a weekend so as you face the reality of this landscape long term, how important is it to maintain this yield or to be able to offer this yield to partners or potential potential partners to keep them from fleeing to the Mountain Collective or the Icon or the Epic Passes? Well, it's extremely important because the resorts appreciate our brand and the marketing we do, but you know, the bottom line is the bottom line and they're they're in it for the for the cash and and uh, if we don't deliver the kind of yield that, that they need, they'll, they'll fall off. Were you afraid of that with Powder Mountain or with Tamarack or with any of these others that, that might have the size to jump at some point? You know, um, if one of our partners uh, gets an offer to join the Icon Pass or the Epic Pass, you know, more power to them, I think. Uh, that would be great for them. Uh, but we continue to uh, grow the Indy Pass and deliver good, strong yields and, and enthusiastic guests who are super happy to be at the resort. And so far, they, they like what we're doing. So, you know, we, we continue to do the best job we can, and uh, hopefully that will keep everybody on board. Well, I'll tell you who is on board is skiers in the Northeast. Let's look at the top 11 from this past season, Doug. It actually looks quite a bit like the top 11 or top 10 from uh, from the 2020 to 21 ski season. But let's go in order and then we'll talk about it. So number one, no surprise to anyone who knows anything about Vermont, is Jay Peak. Number two, Waterville Valley. Number three, Pat's Peak. Number four, Bolton Valley. Number five, Cannon. Number six, Berkshire East. Number seven, Lutzen. Number eight, Magic Mountain, Vermont. Number nine, Powder Mountain, Utah. Number 10, Brundage. And number 11, Tamarack. What are your big takeaways from hearing that list, Doug? Well, New England is Indy Pass country, that's for sure. <laughs> and uh, we're, you know, we're super stoked about it. We've got some great resorts back there. And there's a lot of people. There's a lot of skiers. And uh, we're delivering an awesome value, and uh, it's, it's showing up in, uh, in the results. Just from talking to your partners, I'm really curious about your take on this. The, if, if you rewind five years, we didn't have any of these passes. We, we had something called the Peak Pass, which was Peak Resorts Pass. They own Hunter and Mount Snow before Vail bought them. And, um, you know, the, the same New Hampshire resorts that, uh, well, three of them the Vail owns now, Aditash, Wildcat, and Crotchet. And, you know, a bunch of stuff down in Pennsylvania and, and in the Midwest. And then we had the Max Pass, of course, which was the precursor to the Icon Pass. But those were much more limited scale products. And then all of a sudden, the, uh, you know, Veilbot Stowe and then kind of really multiplied and really brought the Epic Pass here in force. The Icon Pass really didn't arrive until 2018 and arrived with a really strong lineup. So all of a sudden, you had everyone else just kind of not really knowing what to do. Reciprocal arrangements aren't really common here in the Northeast. So as you talk to your partners, what is it about the Indy Pass that they like and 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 why are they staying with it 
year after year. They like, like I said, I think they like the brand. They like our marketing and they like the visits and the yield. You know, it, it comes down to that, that package that we deliver for them. And um, so far we're, you know, we're holding up our end of the bargain and, and uh, they're very happy with, with what we're doing. So even though they're independent, they, they, they must see some appeal in being part of this coalition. Yeah, they, they, they are. I mean, you know, I, I've always said I don't think we necessarily compete with uh, the Epic Pass or the Icon Pass. Those are unlimited season pass products, and ours is, you know, a sample pack, basically. But, you know, we're generating a lot of skier visits, and uh, we're, we're driving people to resorts that wouldn't normally go. In fact, uh, 86% of our pass holders visited at least one resort for the first time last year. That's incredible. You know, that's, that's, those are new visits, that's new money. And uh, they, most of those probably would not have occurred if they didn't have an Indy Pass in their pocket. Do you know which resorts experienced the most first visits because of the Indy Pass? No, this was from a survey that we did of our pass holders in March. Okay, let's, so let's get a little more into the top 10. So Canon came in at the number five spot this year. It was actually number two last year. And it only, it, it fell three places, uh, which is still, still redeeming a lot, but they had a lot of blackouts this year, most weekends, all holidays. What explains the continued momentum in spite of all these restrictions they had in place? Well, the past grew and uh, that helped. But if uh, if they weren't able to black out their their peak days, they would have dropped off the pass because, you know, they're they're selling out on the weekends. They're selling full price lift tickets at the ticket window. Why would they want to, you know, give out 100 100 uh, discounted lift tickets to Indy Pass holders? So, and, and this was the case for a, a number of our resorts. We, we had to pivot to a blackout strategy in order to maintain the group. And it worked beautifully for Canon. Their uh, overall redemptions dropped, but their yield per visit went through the roof and they're thrilled. Uh, so, you know, and they still came out number five, you know, but they're they're very happy with the results and and uh, so are we so one resort that dropped out of the top 10 from the previous season to this past one was white pass in washington which was number 10 for the 2020 to 21 ski season mm -hmm. uh, did white pass still perform well they did and uh they dropped for the same reason they they added blackouts to saturdays and holidays and you know, White Pass has just exploded in popularity because the uh, the Vale and and uh, Altera properties uh, just outside of Seattle have been overwhelmed by you know because they're super popular, and people are looking for an outlet and they're finding White Pass, which is you know a couple hours south of Seattle Metro, and and uh, so you know same thing they could we could either lose them as a partner or we could find a way to make it more profitable. And we, we chose the latter. So if you, if you slide it, who was number 10 this year, it was Brundage and Tamarack, both in Idaho, pretty close to each other. I don't know exactly how close, but I think they're within an hour of one another. It's pretty interesting that, that they were bundled together. Are you seeing that, that folks use Brundage and Tamarack as a sort of mini getaway and do two days at each? Absolutely. It's one of our most popular combos. Uh, other other complimentary resorts are Beaver Mountain and Powder Mountain in Utah. We see a lot of a lot of uh, comic, you know, people combining those two. Silver Mountain and Forty Nine Degrees North near Spokane, and pretty much all of Vermont, and New Hampshire. There's all kinds of combinations you can create up there. So, what does that tell you or suggest about the strength of bundling and, and building regional density? as you map out the future of Indy Pass and because you're at a point now where you can really strategically add resorts in areas where you don't have that density and want to build it. So what, what, what does that tell you about, 
about the value of density as you try to build out the coalition? It's extremely uh, important. Um, you know, people look at, at the Indy Pass and they they decide, okay, how many days can I get on this pass to make it worthwhile? And if they have to drive eight hours to get their their fourth and fifth day, they're probably going to, you know, think twice. But, you know, 72% of all of our visits last year originated out of state. And so, you know, people are driving, they're, they're traveling, especially in the West. And, uh, there's, they're stringing together some, some long segments, but, you know, they still want to be able to get at least two or four days without having to spend an overnight trip. And, uh, so that's where clustering really helps. And, it also helps, you know, if you're planning a, a vacation or a, you know, a road trip, uh, you don't want to have, you know, four or five hour drives in between resorts. Their clustering from a skier point of view is great. From a business point of view, it's, it's a little bit trickier, a little more ambiguous. With seven of the top eight in the Northeast, I know that you've, we've talked before about you can't have too many because if the pass gets oversaturated and you have too many redemptions, your yield goes too low and partners will leave. So with seven of the top eight in the Northeast in New England, have you reached peak density in New England? Are you done expanding there? No, we will add resorts in Maine this year Mm -hmm. and uh, we are not done in New England. I'm not quite sure you know, how to follow up on that. But uh, I can tell you that our our past utilization was, um, did not increase year over year. And I think we may have room for some growth, perhaps not in, in Vermont and New Hampshire, but uh, we're taking a close look at it. And, you know, we may decide to give it one more season, season. Uh, so we can get three full seasons of data, but uh, um, I don't think we're done up there. Uh, how about New York? It, you know, it doesn't seem like anything in New York is anywhere near the top ten from any of the conversations we've had. Is is there room to expand in New York? Yes, uh, New York's a big state. There's a lot of miles between resorts up there, and uh, I think there's certainly room to expand. Uh, there's a number of resorts in uh, the far western part of the state that we'd love to talk to, and there's a couple, uh, you know, in the east that we'd we'd love to talk to as well. And um, you know, it's just a, it's kind of a we'll have to see how it goes, kind of a kind of a story. Well, I know that. Uh... I'm always asking for more and more and more like every skier is. But the truth is that what you've built in New England is pretty astonishing, especially your crown jewel, which is J-Peak. No surprise that that is the number one most redeemed resort in your entire network. You've been on the record in the past, Doug, as saying that when J-Peak, which has been for sale for years and years, and it's caught up in a big scandal that we don't have to go into here, but you've acknowledged that when that resort is sold, you expected to have to say goodbye to it. And I think the presumption there was someone's going to buy it, put it on the Icon Pass, put it on the Epic Pass, because frankly, it could be on those passes. It's better than anything that either of those passes have in Vermont. And I know that's a big stretch when you're talking about passes that have Sugarbush and Stowe, but it's true. J Peak is special. Uh, it seems, though, that Steve Wright, the general manager at J Peak, has said that the the sellers that are the fi- the finalists for J Peak are this is an exact quote but aligned with Jay's values and they've renewed with the Indy Pass again. It seems at this point they may actually stick around. How are you feeling optimistically about the future of J Peak and the Indy Pass post sale? I am very grateful to Steve Wright for going to bed. Uh, for the Indy Pass with his prospective new owners. If not for his endorsement, we probably wouldn't make the cut after an ownership change. But hopefully we can prove to the new group, whoever that is, that we can deliver good value for JPEG. 
I will also say that Steve Wright is one of the most respected GMs in the Northeast. And he knows that Jay Peak's participation in the Indy Pass helps all of the Indy resorts in New England. And I think um, he sees it as uh, the partially as a responsibility to help support some of his colleagues downstate. And, uh, you know, all of our resorts sign a one-year agreement. And if we don't deliver, any one of them will, will opt out after, after a year. But uh, hopefully Jay Peak will be around for a long time. Uh, I, I hope so, too. And I hope that now that the border between Canada and the United States is normalizing, I hope that you start to get some Canadian pass holders. Are you seeing any momentum in that direction of, of the because, you know, everyone always talks about how remote Jay is. But the truth is, it's less than two hours or around two hours from Montreal. So that's a big constituency up there. Are you seeing any momentum up there? Or do you think you have to get some resorts established in Quebec before that starts to happen? It's hard to say. We we were starting to get some traction up there in Quebec and then COVID hit and the border closed and, you know, it shut everything down for two years. Assuming that things are going to get back to normal with, with cross-border travel, um, I we, we hope that we can establish a foothold in uh, Eastern Canada. And certainly, um, you know, a, a huge percentage of JPEG's uh, visits come from, from that part of the, the the region. And I think that we could sell some passes in that part of the country. Uh, But if not, um, you know, I I think we can send some people up north who want to ski up there. So if you're shopping, the Indy Pass, as I mentioned earlier, did not increase prices for 2022 to 23 after, as you said, a 40% jump the previous season. Why did you hold pass prices steady? Well, we didn't have to raise the price. I think we we may have overdone it a little bit last year with a 40% increase, and we took a lot of heat for that. But this year, we came very close to hitting our yield goal, and we decided to give our pass holders a break. You know, inflation seems to be hitting everything else, and we thought, why, you know, why not? Let's let's see what happens if we can hold the prices. And so far, they've uh, they've responded, and we're selling a lot of them. Those who did stick around and commit to you last year now get a 10% discount for 2022 to 23. What inspired the discount? You know, last year we offered a renewal discount of a flat 25 bucks. And uh, that was um, very much appreciated by our pass holders. Uh, So this year we sweetened the deal by a couple of bucks, you know, 10% gives them like $28 off. And we added a uh, discount for kids so they could get a break. Um, and it's just, it's easier for our accounting, you know, to just offer a flat 10% across the board on a promo code. And, um, you know, we don't have to promote all these different different dollar amounts. It, it, it was just simple. And, and uh, so far that's working well. So I, I'm sure folks appreciate the flat price on the pass. However, everyone seems to hate the processing fee. Any chance we can kill that thing? <laughs> I would love to kill the processing fee. Um, I know how people hate surprises in their shopping cart, and I'm sure it's cost us some business. But the processing fee is, uh, it's a necessary evil to keep this thing alive. Um, you know, this year we also uh, decided that we would cover sales tax for all the resorts that do business in states that tax lift tickets. And those are some significant states, Vermont, uh, Maine, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Washington, Utah. Mm. We've got a lot of resorts in those states and they, and you know, they're paying a sales tax. And so um, we absorb that, that tax. Now Uh, we also pay credit card processing fees. You know, that's a fact of life. It's like death and taxes. And we cannot state that we're charging a fee to cover tax. We cannot state that we're charging a fee to cover credit card charges. Um, It's a violation of some laws that I'm only vaguely familiar with. But, um, you know, the processing fee is, uh, is necessary to keep the program alive. And we appreciate the people that pay it. And, uh, 
we thank them for their um, understanding. Wait, couldn't you just raise the price of the pass like 10 bucks and then just sort of like hide it in there? Yes. And then 85% of that would go back to the partner. So it wouldn't yeah. really cover that. You know, we, we, we'd raise it 10 bucks and, you know, so it's kind of a, uh, you know, catch 22. All right. Tell us about the Indy Switch Pass. What is it and why are you offering it? Well, we have always sold Indy Passes to Epic and Icon Pass holders. We know that from from our, our surveys. And um, I think there's a lot of people out there that, that, um, that buy those passes and ski at those big resorts and never have an inkling of what these independent resorts have to offer. And so we thought, well, let's call some attention to it. And uh, we put it out there. We got a lot of, uh, a lot of response from uh, the media and uh, we're selling a lot of those passes. All right. One thing that you did this year is you really, you really sorted out the blackout dates. And, you know, I, I, I think folks need to remember, we're only going into our fourth season of the Indy Pass. So they're, you know, I, I think that hiccups, especially at this point, are forgivable. And, and the, the blackout grid last year was a, a little bit baffling. It, it, you know, I, I, you could get it if you stared at it for a while, but you really fixed it. That's the important part, right? So, so you really simplified it. So tell us about your new blackout tiers. Well, Stuart, uh, calling it a little baffling is extremely kind. <laughs> it, it was, it was a nightmare, and you know we were coming off of a season where we had virtually no blackouts, and and in order to keep a number of resorts happy, we we had to implement blackouts. But getting you know eighty resorts to agree on the same the same tiers is, is was virtually impossible. So we kind of let you know everybody have whatever they wanted. And it resulted in a very confusing uh, program. So far, we're pleased with these new time periods. Uh, we've simplified it down to four. Uh, we've got Christmas holiday. We've got the two MLK and President's weekends. And then um, Saturdays between Christmas and mid-March. And or Sundays between Christmas and mid-March. By offering those four options, and you, you could mix and match whichever ones you wanted as a resort, it 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 kept everybody happy, you know, and um, they were they were okay compromising, you know, uh, what what they individually wanted to do, and uh, I'm I'm hopeful that uh, we'll be able to stick with this uh, system or something very similar to it, so that we can gain some consistency from year to year, and I think that's what that's what our pass holders really want. Are you hearing good feedback from skiers so far? We're not hearing bad feedback. (laughs) (laughs) Last year we heard a lot of that and, and, you know, understandably, you know, we went from almost no blackouts to, you know, 24 resorts had blackouts and, and, uh, they averaged 22 days each. So yeah, we took a lot of heat and, and this year we backed off a little bit and we simplified it and, so far, uh, I think people are, you know, they understand that, that blackouts are, they're part of the program now and uh, you got to pay more to play more. That's just the way it is in the ski business now. Well, aside from the simplification, you also had a number of ski areas, including very crucially for the Northeast Saddleback that eliminated blackouts altogether. Do you have a sense of why they did? Yes, they wanted more people. You know, when when you add blackouts, um, you, you don't you get better yield. You get you know you get paid more for those visits, but the visits drop off because most of our pass holders buy the the base pass. Um, Wintergreen, uh, West Virginia, also eliminated all their blackouts, and they they looked at the results and they said, "Well, that's ninety. It's nice getting uh, you know." all those, uh, or, you know, that, that yield on the weekends, but we want more, we want more bodies. We want, want more people. And, um, and so, you know, they reset things and, and, uh, Saddleback is, is stoked. I I'm stoked. I think a lot of people in new England are going to go discover Saddleback this year on some of those, uh, those busy weekends. And, uh, they're going to, they're going to like what they find. <laughs> so on the other end of the spectrum, you had, eight ski areas who went from zero blackouts 
to some, including Pat's Peak and Buck Hill, which went from zero blackouts to 16 apiece. Uh, do you have a sense of why those scarias ramped up blackouts so much? They're just getting super crowded on the peak days, and uh, they need to regulate visitation so they can maintain a balance. You know, this is a principle that's been around for 130 years. It's called the, the law of supply and demand. And, you know, not to get too geeky, but elastic products like lift tickets, uh, when demand exceeds supply, the price should rise until you reach what's called equilibrium. And Buck Hill and Pat's Peak and some of our other blackout resorts are just trying to find that equilibrium, that balance, so they can maintain a great guest experience and still be profitable. And one of the pain points throughout the ski world continues to be really Saturdays. And to me, this is this is even worse than holidays. If you get a good weather Saturday, because it's not blacked out on most passes, it becomes a very uh, challenging experience, I would say. You know, I think that you're way ahead of the Epic and Icon Pass on this. I think that both of them will at some point have to reckon with the Saturday problem where you have uh, something like a steamboat or a winter park that is, you know, maybe, maybe blacked out during peak times, but on Saturdays it's wide open. So as you talk to your partners, uh, how crucial, how big of a problem are Saturdays and, and how much is this helping them to sort of meter those days as far as volume goes? Well, it's helping a lot. Saturdays are tough, you know, and, and if, if you just black out weekends, I think you're, you're doing a disservice to everybody because Sundays are not as bad. You know, I think we have five resorts that blacked out Sundays and, and uh, eight or nine, I can't remember, that, that blacked out Saturdays. So, you know, Saturdays are very tough for any resort, especially if they want to maintain low prices that fit everyone's wallet. And, you know, it's a very noble gesture, but it flies in the face of good economics. In my experience, r resorts that have gone to dynamic pricing have eliminated big congestion on their peak days and they've improved profitability. But, you know, I guess that, you know, thinks they're going to pay one price and they show up at the ticket window and they find out it's doubled that day. They're, you know, they're understandably upset, but, um, you know, this, this is the way it's going. And, and you know, you can't just walk into the airport and buy a, a, an airline ticket. And uh, I think ski resorts have to get with the program. I think online sales and reservations are helping with, with big, Day problems and they're driving more people to buy passes like the Indy Pass and, and, and these other passes and, and ticket products that have to be purchased in advance. It's going to take time, but more and more people are, you know, consumers are getting with that program and uh, they're going to find if you wait till the last minute, you're going to pay for it one way or the other. Either it's going to cost you a lot more or you're not going to be able to access your favorite resorts. So you're, let's talk about your network now. So you are continuing to grow the network. You now have 83 downhill partners, recently added three more. Kelly Canyon is your sixth partner in Idaho. It's really, as far as a, a match with Indy, it really matches up well with Snow King, Wyoming, actually, which is the closest Indy partner to it. Uh, Kelly Canyon is a place that was, frankly, kind of a dump until recently. And Mike Van Steen Keist is fixing that place up. So Tell us about the Renaissance at Kelly Canyon and and what convinced you that they were a good fit in their present iteration for the Indy Pass. I think Kelly Canyon is a great hill. They're close to Snow King. Like you said, they're also close to Targhee, which is one of my favorite resorts in the country, and Jackson Hole. You know, not <clears throat> our pass holders, they don't just ski at Indy Pass resorts. You know, they'll they'll mix and match a lot. They've got 640 acres, a thousand vertical. It's family oriented, and you know I think Mike is doing a great job of reviving that resort. And he's brought in a really solid GM by the name of Chris Roberts. You know we really like what they're doing, and we wanted to get on the, the get on board the Kelly Canyon train. Yeah, I've I've uh, I've pitched the Indy Pass 
to my readers as a good counterpart to the Mountain Collective. And Mountain Collective comes with two days each with no blackouts at Targi and Jackson Hole. So there you go. You got a nice little foursome there. Right Absolutely. In the Absolutely. Of You'll have a good week. All right. Bluewood, fifth partner in Washington. It is absolutely parked in the middle of nowhere. Cool little hill, very remote. What makes Bluewood a good fit for Indy? Well, it's it may be in the middle of nowhere for people in uh, Brooklyn, uh, Stuart. But if you live in, <laughs> in Tri-Cities or Yakima, Washington, it's not that far at all. Or, you know, uh, you know Eastern Oregon, it's... Um, it is a great little hill, and they've got some of the best tree skiing in the Northwest. They've got a, they've got a cat skiing operation, and be, they they are fairly remote, but they fill a gap in our map. And uh, you know, uh, you look a little little bit south of them. Anthony Lakes is a is an awesome little resort in eastern Oregon. They're about three hours south of Bluewood, just outside of Baker City. And, uh, you know, last time I talked to them, they didn't have any internet access at the resort, so they can't oh, wow. access our cloud-based system. But, uh, you know, if they ever get Starlink or, or, you know, something else, we'd love to talk to those guys as well. So another gap filler is Sawmill. That is your fourth partner in Pennsylvania. It's interesting because, the you know, I, I often tell people that yeah, I live in New York, but I can get to 150 ski areas within a six-hour drive. It's a very remote or a very dense ski region. However, somehow in the midst of all that, Ski Sawmill still manages to be about two hours away from its closest ski area, which happens to be another Indy partner, Swain. Mm -hmm. So tell us about Sawmill and why you decided to sign them onto Indy. You, well, you're right. Again, it, there, there's a gap in the map there, and, and uh, we like to fill it, fill it in. Um, but you know that the resort is owned by a guy named Mike Neffley, and he grew up at a ski area that, that his dad owned with his sister Celeste Schoonover. And she also owns a ski resort in Western New York called Swain. You mentioned Swain, uh, that's on the, the, the Indy Pass. They've been on the Indy Pass for two seasons now. And you know, Celeste introduced me to her brother, and, and I thought, oh my gosh, this is such a cool family story. We've got to make the connection. We've got to make it happen. And so I talked to Mike, and and uh, he agreed. And, and now we've got uh, a great resort in north central Pennsylvania. I got to say, I, I, I skied Sawmill this past winter, and I, I had a lot of fun there. I stopped in in the evening, and I also skied Swain the year before. And I really liked it. And it, 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 it's funny because, you know, when you ski a lot of ski areas as you do and as I do, you never really know what to expect and you never really know what's going to surprise you and, and what you're going to like. And Swain, I, I, it's one of those ones that, you know, a lot of ski areas I go to, I'm like, okay, that was fun. Um, maybe I'll stop back by here in five years. Yeah. Swain, I keep thinking about it. It keeps <clears throat> coming back in my head because they mm -hmm. have a lot of nice trails down the middle and they got these little pods of tangled sort of exploratory trails, far lookers left and far lookers right. It's a really neat little hill. Mm -hmm. So I hope that you get a chance to stop in there on your next East Coast tour because I really liked it. I, I do too. I look forward to skiing it myself. I haven't been there, but I know it's really well run too. And, you know, I, I, I think people uh, don't appreciate what it takes to, to run one of these places and, and they do a great job there. You know what they have, Doug, that's really neat is a, uh, and I've never seen this anywhere else, is a double quad. You know how they'll have uh, double doubles at a lot of ski hills and mm -hmm. share towers? And yeah. they, have, they actually have a double quad there. It's amazing. Oh, interesting. Wow. <laughs> that, I have uh, not yeah. seen that. <laughs> yeah. The one on the right only goes up. The one on Looker's right only goes up uh, a little ways up the hill. But anyway, pretty pretty neat little piece of hardware they have there. So in, in, uh, in February, you finally broke into Colorado signed sunlight. This is a great mountain, 700 acres, 2000 vertical feet right down the road from Aspen. I know you worked really hard to find a foothold in Colorado. Finally did it. How did the sunlight partnership finally happen? Well, uh, I was planning to be at the NSAA winter conference at Snowmass last January and it got canceled due to COVID. So I decided to keep my flights and uh, my, my colleague Quinn McIntyre and I flew into Denver and we decided we we're going to ski, ski our way across Colorado and up to, up to uh, Powder Mountain. And when we got to Sunlight, 
uh, we were greeted by uh, Tony Hawks, the, the marketing guy there. He gave us comp- complimentary neck buffs and took us up on the mountain, showed us some stashes and some really cool uh, terrain. And then, as he likes to say, we cut the deal the old-fashioned way on a chairlift. <laughs> and it, it was just a great day. I can't say enough good things about uh, sunlight. It was just uh, it far exceeded my expect- expectations. And uh, we're just thrilled to have them on the pass. How important was that Colorado move for you? And do you think we have more Colorado in the future for Andy? We, Stuart, we, we don't expect to compete for pass sales in Colorado. My gosh, you know, people are spoiled silly by Epic and Icon and <laughs> All the indie resorts have these incredible reciprocal deals, right? So for us to sell passes in in Colorado is is not our goal. But the Colorado brand is so compelling for people in the East and the Midwest and the Pacific Northwest, where we do have a lot of pass holders. And remember, seventy two percent of our indie visits originated out of state, and it it goes to almost ninety percent in our uh, for our resorts in the Rockies. So you know our people travel, and you know that's Vale's strategy. You know they they bought those resorts in the Midwest. They merged with Peak with the idea, hey, we'll 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 you know entertain them out there, and then we'll fly them out out to Colorado. We'll fly them out west, and they can have their vacation. Indy pass holders are doing the same thing. How about Japan? You signed four Japan partners last year. How did that go? Well, they had an incredible snow year. <laughs> it was awfully sad, though, because uh, we have these incredible resorts and, and great snow, and nobody could get into the country. Uh, they they pretty right. much shut it down. Um, and so um, we're hoping that next season will be much different. I myself, I had a, a research trip <laughs> planned, and I had to cancel that. So I'm, I'm oh, hoping that we'll, we'll be able to send them some uh, some people soon. So 79 North American partners now. You've said your goal in the, is as many as 100. As you kind of get to know your demographics more, and, and I think you learned uh, this year that you probably can tolerate more partners, What's your current target number in North America for downhill partners, Doug? You know, it's evolving. We, we really don't have a target number. Uh, we started out trying to predict early on. We thought we'd get to this many, and, and, and we're not going to do that anymore. Yeah, we could easily hit 100, but we're just going to take it as it comes and and see where it leads us. And and uh, if we can add more resorts and, and um, um create value for our pass holders and our resort partners, we will. So last year, between April and December, you added 17 downhill ski area partners. Should we expect more partners this summer? Absolutely. We already have uh, new partners contracted and we'll be announcing them uh, later on in the spring. Uh, And we will continue to add resorts throughout the summer, into the fall, and even in the heart of the season, if it makes sense. You know, unlike uh, other passes, the onboarding process for a new resort is super easy because of our cloud-based system. And uh, we have kind of a marketing formula now for getting these guys uh, onboarded. And and, uh, so we're going to continue to expand until it doesn't make sense anymore. All right. Unfortunately, lost one of your big ones this year, Marmot Basin. They were on the Indy Pass for just one season. That's only your third departure any thoughts on the loss of Marmot Basin, Doug? Yeah, we were really disappointed to see them go. And I stewed about it for several days. I was just walking around in a funk. But the reality is, you know, the Indy Pass isn't going to be perfect for every every single resort. They're a majestic resort and a national park in the Canadian Rockies and they draw a lot of visits from Ontario and Quebec, and we have zero presence in Eastern Canada. So I wish we could have had one more season with uh, the border open uh, to see what you know we could deliver for them. But, uh, oh, well, maybe we'll get them back someday. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are adding more partners all the time, and 
including this really interesting Allied Resorts program that you just announced this week. Tell us about this program, Doug. We are super stoked about our Allied Resorts. And, you know, it all kind of started a couple of years ago and we got maxed out in New England and I, I realized, oh my gosh, we're in danger of becoming this exclusive club for the resorts who jumped in first. And exclusivity is not at all in the spirit of the brand. And so rather than continuing to say no to these guys, we decided to create another tier of resorts that that won't impact our financial model and it and it will allow us to add virtually any independent ski area area in the country and it's very simple the way it works is these indie resorts indie allied resorts excuse me will give discounted lift tickets to indie pass holders whenever they show up at the ticket window. They get 25% off on weekends and holidays, 50% midweek. And so essentially the Indy Pass now acts like a discount pass for the allied resorts, and it provides two free days at these other resorts. And the, the, the other benefit to the resorts themselves, in addition to generating visits, their pass holders, will have access to purchase the Indy add-on pass. And that pass will give them access to all of our resorts, two days at each one, at a pretty significant discount. So you're launching with six ski areas, all in New England. What are the ski areas and why is it so focused in this region? Well, New England pass holders are gonna love this. We're, we're, we're bringing on Bosquet Mountain in Massachusetts, Burke Mountain in Vermont, Dartmouth Skiway, New Hampshire, McIntyre Ski Area in New Hampshire, Middlebury College Snowball in Vermont, and last but not least, Whaleback Mountain in New Hampshire. And we have a number of others who are interested and uh, we'll be announcing them soon. But the reason for this concentration in New England is simply because there are so many resorts in New England and it is such a small concentrated area that, um, you know, if you can ski at 10 resorts and get two days at each one and sleep in your own bed, why would you buy a season pass? Um, right. And as soon as we start cannibalizing season passes, you know, we're going to, we're going to lose the model. So this allows us to continue to expand and offer support to independent resorts of any size, anywhere. I'm super stoked for this program, Doug, but one of these things is not like the others. Burke is, it's a monster, 2000 vertical feet. Some of the best glades I've ever skied in Vermont. It's exactly equidistant between Cannon and Jay Peak. What do I have to do to convince you to move Burke from the Allied program up to the full Indy partner? <laughs> I know I, I skied there myself this year. It is uh, it's a hell of a mountain, and uh, we're super stoked to have him on the pass. Again, um, we're going we're going to go slow. We we have to keep a very close eye on the yield and uh, uh, redemptions and. You know, we're going to take a, a look at it one more season and maybe we can add them. They, they, may, they may be able to become a full partner. Then again, they may not. We'll, we'll just have to see. All right. Another element. You've, this is actually the second big program you've launched. The, the first is a, a cross-country group of resorts. And you started with one last year, Sovereign Lakes out in Western Canada. You're up to nine now. You say you're going to get to more than 30 for this next season. So tell us about the cross-country program and why you started it. There are 5 million Nordic skiers in the U.S., and a third of them also ski alpine. And, you know, I've tried it. Uh, it's not for me. I'm a lazy chairlift guy, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> right? But uh, the, the reason we all do this is for the love of sliding on snow. And Nordic skiing is sliding on snow. Um, you know, maybe it's a gateway drug for Alpine resorts. I don't know. It's easy to learn. It's inexpensive. It's easy to access. I mean, in, in some places, you just walk out your front door and ski down the sidewalk. 
And if enough people try it, eventually some of them are going to make their way to a downhill resort. And, you know, in the, in the 90s, I, uh, I saw how skiers really turned up their noses at snowboarders. You know, I, I may have been one of those. Um, and, and now, you know, uh, 30 years later, nobody gives a second thought to whether you have one plank or two on your feet, right? And I think the barriers between alpine and cross country need to come down in the same way. You know, we all love the sport for the same reasons. And I think there's a bunch of alpine skiers out there who just need a little nudge and they're going to go try Nordic and they're going to fall in love with it, you know, and then they can do both. Um, and, and by offering that, I, I think, you know, this may be a little far fetched, but I think cross country resorts, because they have so much capacity, you know, nobody's selling out very few are, are parking parking out as we say um they may offer a solution to chronic overcrowding you know ski resorts growing or skiing is growing in popularity the indie pass is growing but the number of alpine resorts is not growing that remains fixed and probably will be forever so something's got to give you know whether it's you know cross-country resorts or maybe these allied resorts but we've got to spread the people around on on these peak days or it, it's just it's not going to be good the price point is phenomenal so every first of all every current indie pass holder gets two days automatically at east cross country area but if someone wants to ski cross country only the pass is 69 dollars, 29 dollars for kids that's just an amazing price how are you able to set it so low and are you seeing interest in that standalone pass we are seeing interest. We're selling passes with with zero marketing so far, um, and I and I think that um, you know the resorts, the the cross country resorts, they see the opportunity, they see the potential for what we can deliver in terms of new new uh, uh, customers for them, and they're willing to uh, take a haircut on their yield in order to see if it'll work. You know, we launched the original Indy Pass at one ninety nine, and once we figured out that it worked and people would buy it, you know, we moved the price up. So we, we may be able to do that same thing with the cross country pass. Um, but, you know, I think it's going to work. It's just, it, it just gotta, it's going to take time for people to find out about it. And, you know, the thing that really, uh, really stood out for me when you interviewed Rob Katz from Vale was how he was so surprised when they when they came out with the Epic Pass and it was so inexpensive and it offered you know unlimited skiing to all the resorts, he he couldn't believe how long it took for people to catch on. You know, <laughs> and, you know things take new things take time. Uh, you know, I, I I think it it took years for people to figure out how good of a deal the Epic Pass was, and I think that the Indy Cross Country Pass will be the same way. I th- the the Indy Pass is the same way. I mean, we're I still meet people in the in the industry who are, you know, uh, they've been in the industry for for years and years, and and they're you know at a fairly high level. They've never heard of the Indy Pass, and and uh, so you know we have a lot of work to do, and and. Um, you know, that's, that's what we're all about. Well, it's been a pleasure to watch it grow and it, I look forward to continuing to watch it grow for many, many years, Doug. We did it one hour. No one can believe it. least of all me. (laughs) (laughs) But, but thank you very much for, uh, for coming on to the storm again. I'm going to bug you about this every single spring. So um, just put it in your calendar now, lock it in for 2023. And we will be talking about Burke, being made a full indie partner next May. <laughs> well, I'm sure Brooke is happy to hear that. And uh, <laughs> Stuart, it's always a pleasure talking with you. Thank you for having me on. That's Doug Fish, president and founder of the Indie Pass. Doug's funny. He was like, listen, man, can we keep this to an hour? Not because he didn't want to give me the time, but because he was convinced it was the only way to get you all to listen to the end. But you can feel free to tell Doug that you're not even getting close to hearing enough about the Indy Pass after an hour. And it was tough to cram that all in. There's so much to talk about, even in Doug's third storm appearance. That will certainly not be his last. Thank you so much for that, Doug. Sincerely, it is so awesome watching you change the game. Keep doing what you're doing. 
I will be right there to watch. And the rest of you, go get yourself an Indie Pass. You know you want one. I get it. Some of you are too cool. You don't ride anything but high speed lifts, whatever. But if you want something different, if you're looking for a way to spend weekends doing something besides waiting in lift lines, this can be a really cool supplemental pass if you live in the right part of the country. Thank you all for listening. Next up is Real Skiers founder Jackson Hogan. That one is already recorded. It is completely awesome. You are going to learn a ton about skiing and about ski gear. I know I did. Right behind Jackson, I have conversations coming with the owners of Paul Bunyan, Wisconsin, the general managers of Perfect North Indiana, Snow Trails, Ohio, Bogus Basin, Idaho. And this is one that I am very excited to announce. At long last, I've been working on this one since day one of the storm, Gore Mountain, New York. So pumped for that. I've also got the CEO of Snow Operating, which owns Mountain Creek and Big Snow coming up in June. And believe it or not, the fall lineup is already shaping up. Get ready for this. I've already booked conversations with the general managers of Sun Valley, Brundage, Monarch, Sundance, and Vail Mountain. Plus, Boyne Resorts CEO, Steven Kircher will make his third appearance on the storm. And I have a whole lot more that I'm lining up. So get in on that at stormskiing.com by subscribing to the Storm Skiing newsletter. The podcast hits your email box a few hours before they sync up with iTunes or whatever else. Also, please follow the storm on Twitter and Instagram at Storm Ski Journal. Until next time, stay well. Stay safe. I'm Stuart Winchester, and I'll talk to you again very soon. The Storm Skiing Podcast is a Quicksilver Films production.